Hello, you are listening to the Nourish Gut Podcast. This space is for the woman who is suffering from digestive issues like IBS and SIBO. I am your host, Carly Raven. I am a naturopath, clinical nutritionist, gut health expert, and mother. My mission is to help educate you about IBS and SIBO and take you on a journey to resolving your digestive issues. I will have real conversations and give you solutions that I know actually work. So if you're ready to be bloat-free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Nourish Gut Podcast. I'm your host and I'm thrilled to introduce our special guest today, Tara Nelson. With nearly three decades of clinical experience, Tara is a highly esteemed naturopath, nutritionist and herbalist specializing in thyroid health. Throughout her impressive career, Tara has worked with patients from all walks of life, providing comprehensive care for a wide range of thyroid conditions, whether it's hypo or hyperthyroidism, thyroid nodules, thyroid cancers, or thyroid autoimmune conditions. Tara has dedicated herself to helping individuals achieve optimal thyroid health. Not only does Tara offer in-person consultations, but she also extends her expertise globally uh, through online consultations. Her clinical experience, which includes hundreds of thyroid patients, has equipped her with a profound understanding of the complexity surrounding thyroid health. Furthermore, her personal journey, uh, alongside with her child's diagnosis of Hashimoto's, has given her a unique perspective and empathy for those facing similar challenges. Recognized as a mentor, Tara kindly shares her knowledge and guides other health practitioners in managing complex thyroid cases. Additionally, she runs two thyroid practitioner training programs, empowering practitioners with the latest insight and strategies into thyroid health. Tara's expertise extends beyond her clinical practice. She is a sought-after guest speaker, gracing the stage of health and wellness podcasts, professional organizations, and esteemed companies. Her passion for educating and enlightening others about thyroid health shines through in every speaking engagement. And I'm very, very excited to have her joining us today. So please join in as we dive into the world of thyroid health, unraveling the mysteries surrounding the vital gland and gaining valuable insights into maintaining a balanced and thriving life when it comes to the connection between thyroid and gut issues like SIBO. So let's get started. A big, big welcome to you, Tara. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Such a pleasure. Um, so I think let's kind of jump straight into it today because we've got so much to cover. It's such a big topic. I mean, whenever we're going to come and combine two worlds, such as thyroid and, and SIBO, um, yep. you know, I think we're, everyone needs to kind of buckle up a little bit. What do you think? hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. There's a lot here, definitely, for sure. Lots to unpack. And we're probably not even going to be able to unpack it all. We could probably do this in three parts, if I'm honest. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So can you explain to us a little bit about the relationship between an underactive thyroid, um, in particular, constipation um, and SIBO? And maybe we can touch on a little bit how this these conditions are all interacting with each other and what you mm. see in your practice. 
Yeah, sure. And they do all, they, like you said, they are, you know, all three of them quite sort of unique uh, conditions that um, all can have their own sort of treatments, but they do all definitely interact and impact with each other, particularly sort of the thyroid sort of SIBO connection there. So if we're talking about hypothyroidism, we're talking about low thyroid hormones here. And generally with low thyroid hormones, hypothyroidism or underactive thyroid, we're going to see a slower motility or slower transit time throughout that whole GIT, that whole digestive tract leading possibly to a, a sluggish bowel constipation. And I say possibly there because um, some clients with hypothyroidism, actually many clients present with the opposite, with loose stools or diarrhea. So it's, you know, it's all individual. But, you know, generally when we're seeing that slow transit time and that's, we see a sluggish bowel and constipation, and this can also, you know, lead to SIBO also. So we need see, uh, um, thyroid hormones for the integrity and working of that migrating motor complex. So uh, low thyroid hormones will slow down that cleaning or clearing wave. Um, and also this can cause, you know, constipation. And, and in, with constipation, we can see that, you know, there's a buildup of toxic waste products um, and that can be, you know, pushed back into the small intestine. So we've got slow motility leaving, you know, with the, with the small intestine and then we've got that constipation, possibly, you know, toxins migrating back into it. We need uh, thyroid hormones for to stimulate the production of hydrochloric acid and a really good digestive enzymes to break down that food, kill bacteria, and also for nutrient absorption there. So again, are we seeing you know un undigested, unprocessed food going into that small intestine, causing havoc? Um, we're going to see low nutrient absorption for the thyroid. So the thyroid is very nutrient dense. So you know, we need really good adequate digestion and small intestine absorption of those nutrients um, to provide the thyroid with optimal nutrients again. Um, and yeah, so that's mainly sort of the thyroid, how the thyroid will, you know, impact the sort of, you know, the gut and cause constipation and then SIBO. And then we can see also on the other side of it is how poor gut health can affect you know, the thyroid. So, you know, poor gut health can affect thyroid hormone absorption um, of, you know, one's own thyroid hormone production like T4 or even thyroxine. So if someone's on thyroxine and they've got poor gut health, that absorption may be limited of actually absorbing that medication. Also, we need really good thyroid hormone and gut health for um, conversion of T4 to T3 too. Um, and then if we look at SIBO in general, um, you know, it's generally characterized by, you know, high levels of dysbiosis or those lycopolysaccharides that can affect so that thyroid hormones are converted predominantly in the gut and the liver. Uh, so we've got poor gut health and dysbiosis. We can see poor absorption and conversion of T4 to T3. Um, and then also SIBO has also been suggested to play a role in the pathogenesis pathogenesis of that um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, those bacterial endotoxins, um, you know, driving mediators there. So that, again, we might see poor conversion of T4 to T3. We've talked about poor gut health or malabsorption, low hydrochloric acid um, with the nutrients. Um, yeah, so there's it definitely is what we call, I guess, a bit of a two-way street with both um, systems affecting each other, uh, yeah, in certain ways. Yeah, and I recommend, uh, I think that we've actually um, spoken about this before, sorry, uh, in previous conversations about the mm. chicken and the egg scenario that's, you know, yes. going here between 
thyroid and gut and SIBO because it's like, well, we don't actually know in some cases what occurred for, first or what might be other. But yes. what we do know is that we need to be paying attention to all of these areas. And it's not uncommon for us, even in our practice, that's primarily, you know, gut health and SIBO based for us to be investigating thyroid in nearly all of our patients, um, especially constipation. Um, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of SIBO tests um, coming back uh, as positive and we go, mm, okay, what's happening here? What's with the motility? Is it thyroid? Because one of the key things we need to be doing is addressing the underlying cause of that, not just treating, mm. you know. So if a patient has SIBO and thyroid issues, if we don't fix that thyroid, then mm. they're only going to see, right. yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, only a certain percentage of improvement, I suppose. Mm. Or they may be more likely to relapse and things like that. 100%, as well. yeah. And I saw a study recently with about over half of SIBO patients have hypothyroidism. Would you say that it's more than half? Um, or it's you know the percentage that you see in your experience it's very common yeah like mm. even um, yeah. in our current cohort of patients I think yeah I don't know the actual percentage um, but it's very high um, mm. like we've got quite a few in there at the moment with active um, autoimmune diagnosis or um, you know some of them are on medication for thyroid so it's definitely yeah maybe half actually now that I'm really thinking about it at least half of our patients are you know suffering from some form of you know, pre-diagnosed thyroid or it's something that we uncover throughout the process of working with them as well. Mm. Yeah. And I think with just, yeah, again, with what I sort of talk to my practice and even patients about with the whole thyroid system is that, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, the thyroid is able to produce that, those thyroid hormones, you know, predominantly T4, um, or if they're taking that thyroid medication, are they absorbing that medication properly? And, you know, we're looking towards the gut there. And then are they converting? You know, and that's a big issue a lot with thyroid patients is are they, you know, their T4, T3 might look really good on in pathology, but, you know, are they actually converting that T4 to T3 properly? And are they're getting it into the cell there's sort of three steps in that thyroid hormone production and I think you know the gut you know plays a really big role in all of those mm, absolutely yeah I completely agree with you um so when it comes to SIBO kind of the, the, the top symptoms I suppose are things like bloating constipation potentially diarrhea or a bit of both um reflux um, and then there's like kind of like those secondary symptoms like low energy, um, skin issues. Um, are you seeing kind of like a crossover with these symptoms or could you um, dive a little bit deeper into like what are some of the common symptoms that someone with like an underactive thyroid would actually have? Because, um, yeah, I'm just curious about like the crossover here and, you know, mm. putting that yeah. Yeah, and I guess like my my sort of yeah, my patients are present with a thyroid condition, whether it's hypo, hyper, Hashi's Graves, you know, thyroid nodules, post-thyroidectomy, thyroid cancer. So, you know, I'm dealing with looking at their full thyroid function. Um, and I guess everyone's going to, you know, there's no, there are some common symptoms we see in all of those types of conditions, but you know, everyone's going to differ individually. Um, you know, as we said before, some patients will present with, with low thyroid hormones with with loose stools. Um, so it's really important to assess and you know, each patient on that individual basis as no one patient presents the same, um, which makes our, you know, which which keeps us on our toes and makes our life well, <laughs> Yeah. But Damila, I would say the top, you know, the top three I see in hypothyroidism particularly is fatigue. And the fatigue of thyroid, um, low thyroid hormones is mainly exhaustion. So when my clients present with Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, they're exhausted. They're really exhausted, um, you know, needing naps during the day 
day. It's not just a fatigue or a tiredness. It's it's just plain exhaustion. Um, So their energy is very low. They'll be very sluggish. I would say brain fog is a really common one. So, you know, we need really good thyroid hormones for brain functioning. Um, And then they might have, you know, not be a very common one is a they can't lose weight or they're gaining weight and they're, you know, they're not doing anything differently. But that again, that differs with people. Um, menstrual irregularities. So again, that sluggishness through the whole system. And if you think of hypothyroidism, just think of all systems slowing down. The brain function slows, the digestion slows, the menstrual cycle slows, the liver detoxification of those hormones slows, everything slows down. And they can have aching muscles, joints, pains. Um, it's just a real sort of fatigue um, and low energy overall. Hair loss is common, either brittle hair or, or losing hair. So there's some of the common ones that I generally sort of see and look out for in my patients. And then if I'm thinking, you know, um, of the gut, we'll always be looking at the gut health. Yeah, definitely if I'm thinking, you know, SIBO's on the list that, or, you know, I need to test for SIBO, it's, yeah, definitely that chronic bloating. But we can get to how I sort of approach that. You know, you probably I'm going to differ in my the way I approach a patient, um, yeah, than so you, when you're treating SIBO, that's your sort of thing oh, on your mind. Yeah. yeah it, you just like sparked something in me. I was like, it's kind of the same as like the different types of SIBO, you know, and classically methane equals constipation, hydrogen equals diarrhea, but it's not always like that. You know, it's like, you know, and I think I've spoken about this on previous podcasts is like, there's a box, you know, and not everyone fits inside that box. Mm-hmm. And it's yes. okay if your symptoms are different, um, you know, because it could mean that, it's because you have thyroid issues and SIBO or, you know, SIBO and something else. And that's mm. why you're presenting differently. Like I think yes. you could agree that most patients we're treating uh, nowadays don't just come to us with one set no. thing. It's, you know, it there's yes. a whole array of different things. So I yes. think it's a really good reminder for everyone to be like, yes, this is a diagnostic criteria or these are the classic symptoms of this condition, but, you mm. know, just because you do or don't have that doesn't isn't doesn't always matter. <laughs> no, no. And and really sometimes people come to me, oh, I've got hypothyroidism, but I'm looking at their results, I'm looking at their symptoms, I'm looking at their clinical picture, and I'm thinking, do you know what your thyroid function is actually good? You've got, you know, poor gut health or you've got poor liver health or, you know, you're chronically stressed or your cortisol is all, all over the place. And when I actually treat those underlying, um, you know, everything sort of you know, works a lot better. I don't actually have to really treat the thyroid gland. And I think that's an important one too. And a big one for practitioners is really looking at the individual in front of you rather than that condition that they're presenting with. You know, there's so many underlying drivers and particularly with the thyroid, it's it's, it's, a, it's an organ that wants to sort of, um, you know, it's to stabilize and have homeostatic balance in the body. So it will be responding to things upstream and downstream in the body, whatever's going on. So if that underlying driver is keeping it on guard, keeping it working hard, if it's, if it's fatigued, and usually in hypothyroidism, the thyroid is slowing down for some reason. It could be because there's chronic stress um, or an infection in the body. So the immune system is working so hard. So the thyroid will slow down in certain situations, and that is a normal homeostatic function. Um but, um, you know, it's when that happens on a chronic, you know, way and that underlying driver isn't fixed that the thyroid, we've got to really give that thyroid support as well. So, yeah, what's happening underneath what's going on is really important. And, and yeah, we can always come back to gut if that's something that's happening that's got to be priority number one, so mm. to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And so can we talk about now like the different dietary and lifestyle factors that individuals with kind of an underactive thyroid um 
constipation and SIBO could consider? Like, are there specific kind of your go-to things for these people that we can chat about today? Yeah, sure. And yeah, so my way of assessment is probably a little bit different to yours. So again, um, I'm going to be seeing patients coming into clinic with a thyroid condition. So I'm going to be assessing and looking at their, you know, what is going on with their thyroid function, what else is driving that. And if someone is presenting also with, um, you know, gut issues, I would say that, you know, when I eliminate, eliminate, so usually with, if it's autoimmune thyroid, I'm going to, or, you know, gut issues as well, I'm going to eliminate gluten and dairy, usually those two big food groups that are generally causing inflammation, causing issues. You know, we can do some testing around that, but generally if it's autoimmune, I'm going to eliminate those. Um, and then maybe assessing their food intolerances on a sort of basic level, if they have more, uh, you know, two or more autoimmune conditions or very poor gut health, I might even bring in the autoimmune paleo protocol, which is a highly restrictive eating plan, probably only for about three to four months. Um, and that can bring amazing changes. Um, and looking at their gut health, uh, you know, depending on how they're presenting, whether I increase their fiber for constipation or different foods in their diet. Uh, probiotics, prebiotics, whatever I bring in, you know, I have to say that that's been, that's kind of my basic sort of treatment plan that I've been doing the past, sort of say 24, 25 years before SIBO sort of came about. And I still would practice that way. And I would say eight to nine times out of 10, most patients will come back within a four to six week period and their gut issues will be a lot better. Mm. Um, and they're, you know, because we settled down the inflammation, their guts had a rest from those really big proteins to break down in the gluten and dairy. Now, if that person came back and, you know, their gut still, you know, they're still presenting with like bloating or loose stools or constipation or they're worse from fiber or they're worse from carbohydrates. So I would go, okay, my next step would be doing, you know, gut microbiome mapping or a CDSA, a comprehensive digestive stool analysis. Um, and, you know, I think from there, like whilst we can't diagnose SIBO from there, there are signs um, and, you know, markers, I guess, in all, in those uh, tests that can, and other blood markers that can alert us to something else going on. So from those test results, um, say the CDSA, I can sort of, you know, find there's parasites or, you know, malabsorption or, you know, can really narrow down my treatment. And then I might come in again with, with treatment protocols on the gut to support that. Um, and then again, if they come back and there's still, uh, you know, excessive bloating or whatever it is going on, then, you know, I would say that's when I would go to the SIBO testing. That's kind of my way, my individual way. And as I said, most times, you know, I think on the, out of all my clients before SIBO sort of came into it, um, you know, I've been practicing for 30 years. SIBO, as we've spoken about before, wasn't in my training and naturopathic college years ago. Um, well, and it's it no, really, it's still not. No, not, oh no, my not that I'm aware of. I still have graduate wow. training through my practitioner training going, oh my God, I did not know oh. any of this. Yeah. Wow. Still okay. not. It's still dysbiosis talked about um, very generally. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's a massive hole in the race. Um, yeah. Yeah. The curriculum. Yeah. Well, I find that about thyroid too. That's why, yeah, our training programs are so important because, you know, thyroid, what's taught in the curriculum is just, it's not what you're going to see in clinic. That's for sure. No. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the way I've been practicing most of my naturopathic life. And like I said, you know, eight to nine times out of 10, that it will improve thyroid function um, and, and those tricky, you know, gut sort of um, issues as well. But so generally I'm removing those really, those foods, again, that's going to impact their thyroid, their, their, um, their autoimmune system, you know, their immune system. And um, 
yeah, and generally that sort of helps in there. I think also, um, you know, managing lifestyle, you know, that's a big one. You know, when we look at the autoimmune paleo protocol, the diet's only a quarter of that plan and the stress management lifestyle, sleep and movement is really essential. So that's the other sort of, you know, you know, other quarter, three quarters of that program. So addressing, you know, what's happening with their stress. If stress is an issue, we've got to come in and support that, you know, lifestyle. And in my programs, that's what I talk about. We may have to put in protocols to help your thyroid, to support your immune um, system, to modulate that immune system. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to diet and lifestyle, what you're going to do 80 to 90% of the time, what you're going to put in your mouth, what you're going to eat to nourish your thyroid, to you know, for your gut as well, and how you're going to manage your stress, sleep, and movement. And I think movement is a big one because it's the movement that suits you. Um, it's, it's restorative movement and it's going to help whatever sort of condition, you know, I deal with a lot of autoimmune. So it's restorative movement, you know, walking, swimming, Pilates, you know, a bit of weight training. It's definitely not running marathons or, you know, cardio and things like that. It's really nourishing because a lot of these people are very fatigued. So coming in with really nourishing um, movement there. So, yeah, that's generally my approach of how I approach both, you know, all thyroid and, you know, and gut conditions as well. It's really holistic. I did have like at the moment, and I know like there's lots of different specific foods, um, but at the moment, are there like two kind of examples that we could give as food as medicine that you're like really loving at the moment for your thyroid patients? Like if you could just kind of be like this food would be really nourishing, um, yeah. yeah do you have any I've got because I've got my kind of favorite top SIBOE ones at the moment <laughs> yeah let's talk about that so yeah so generally we're looking at a very nutrient dense diet I guess that's something I didn't say so the, the thyroid needs a lot of nutrients to you know to function well to metabolize to make its thyroid hormones to convert its thyroid hormones and to uptake it into the cells as well so it's very nutrient dense so we focus on that nutrient dense diet so we're looking at lots of really good proteins so seafood you know, really good quality um, meat, organ meat out of my top, probably two foods if you want two top, oysters (laughs) and liver. So organic liver is amazing. So making some pate or you can actually buy like mints with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, organic um, liver in it now from really good sort of organic shops. But, yeah, really nutrient-dense. I'm really talking in my programs about slow-cooking meats, so easy-to-digest foods, um, nourishing veggies, but yeah, they're, they're probably my top foods because they, they're just so nutrient dense. Liver is full of nutrients, your zinc, your iron, your B12. It's really good protein. Um, the, the thyroid needs really good protein and that works both for both conditions, hypo and hyper as well. Right. That's so cool. I love um, uh, pate, like liver. And in fact, I'm like, can't source any good quality um, liver where I currently am at and I read because obviously I'm pregnant at the moment and I just really want to be like Mm. consuming it because of how absolutely organic yeah it's got to be organic because it's an organ meat so it's going to process all that animal's toxins so you want it to be you know from an organic animal I mean the liver capsules we can we have access to liver capsules now um, which are fantastic yes yes yeah 
which is yeah. a great alternative, I think, for like if I've got a vegetarian or even a vegan uh, that, you know, I'm trying to get really good protein in. Um, generally, they're mostly responsible, you know, if they can just swallow it and not think about it, they, you know, I can get that in, particularly for pregnant. Definitely, you know, my vegetarian um, autoimmune thyroid patients, oh, it's a challenge to get, you know, the protein is huge yeah. to try and get that protein in. So that's that's a good one for the alternative, the, the capsules. Mm, so awesome well my top two kind of for more of like the SIBOE side of things at the moment I'm just going to kind of share them because I think that yes, we're attracting today um yeah. from all walks of life with both thyroid and SIBOE type stuff is pomegranate um oh, yeah. and um, I've been loving recommending you know even just like an organic um and Woolies and Coles stock a really good pure organic pomegranate juice um right. so you can just have like one quarter of a cup um and I even get my three-year-old to you know know he has pomegranate juice um mm. and the effects that it has on the microbiome is really really good and you can mix it with like a bit of water to dilute it um or even mix it in with like mineral water to make it a bit fancy because i'm again mm. can't drink alcohol at all at the moment so if we no. kind of go out socially i'll do pomegranate and a bit of you know fancy sparkling water right um, i love that I, other one is pawpaw. I just cannot get enough of pawpaw at the moment because of its, um, yeah, again, I've been looking at some studies of pawpaw on the microbiome, but also it's just overall digestive promoting, you know, with the bromelain and how it interacts with yes. the um, enzymes. And I think they're two foods that are really under-consumed. Like we've just had a recent um, new cohort of patients in through our Nourish Gut program and they were like, oh, what part of the pomegranate, like the fruit, do I eat? And then there was like, well, they're just the seeds and you just open it up and pop them and they're really nice on salads or just dab the juice. Um, and, you know, not everyone has access to really good pom no. uh, or either. So I feel like they're no. two foods that are yeah. underused but have really awesome benefits for, for the yes. gut. So highly recommend anyone who wants to kind of get on the pomegranate pawpaw train. That's amazing. <laughs> well, you're in the right spot for for pawpaw. Down here in WA, it's South, we do not. Oh, I think I've never grown a pawpaw. We have a big orchard. We grow pomegranates. I've got a whole um, fridge in my shed full of pomegranates. We pick them all, so the parrots. So I'm going to juice those and start having a quarter of a cup um, every yes. day. But, Yay. yeah, pawpaws, pawpaws are just never in season here. Are they? And even when you can buy them, they're just, yeah, because it's not tropical at all here. So, But, yeah, that's a great tip. I love it when I go to Bali or, yeah, to up north we can get them and they're beautiful up there. Yeah, it's and my associate naturopath, um, Bernadette, she recently shared with me that her brother, uh, when they were over, I think it was um, Bali, but it may have been like another Asian country. I can't quite remember what she said, but her brother got really, really sick and he wasn't able to eat after being sick and it was just taking him one or two weeks to recover. And the only food that he felt like eating or could actually tolerate without it coming out either end was uh, pawpaw and she's oh, wow. really fascinating go. and then when I chatted to her about some of the research findings that I um had found she was like it makes total sense that he was yeah craving it number one but Definitely. also you know all of the benefits that it was having with that chronic infection that he obviously had so mm -hmm. yes, yes um yeah, definitely Definitely a beautiful fruit to have. Mm, Even just yeah. doing a little bit of yogurt on the side because it is quite a unique, um, yes, strong flavour. Yeah, yeah, and not everyone likes that. But I find if we put just some um, beautiful yogurt on the side, it just kind of cuts through that a little bit. So maybe mm. you can try that if you're not a big fan. And I didn't know about the seeds. So putting 
um, do you know the properties of the seeds? I didn't know that you could actually put them on salads. I always scoop the seeds out if I've got. No, I haven't looked into that. Now you've kind of, that's what I'll be doing this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. I always just discard the seeds, but I'll have to try them. Mm. That's so cool. I'll have to, the research that I looked at was on the actual fruit. um, Yes. The, the the orangey part but yeah. it would make total sense that there's properties within those seeds sure. yes yeah yeah, yeah mm. cool awesome. okay that was a awesome a ten, I think. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just think it's really practical and I was really curious to hear of your favorite foods um so let's maybe uh what did I want to ask let's talk about diagno- diagnosis of thyroid for a little bit because sure. I think that this is probably a huge topic in itself. And I think that there's a lot of misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed um, patients. Um, even just yesterday in our clinic, we had a patient um, who had norm, what we would classify as normal TSH, T4 and T3 or slightly yep. abnormal naturopathically. Like our ranges um, uh, are kind of a little bit uh, more, you know, <laughs> not as yes. conservative, I suppose. We're all about yes. prevention. So our ranges range differently. Um and we were just kind of really convinced that there was something going on. So we actually asked um, and tested for some antibodies. And this uh, patient came back with antibodies through the roof. So I wanted to ask you kind of what your go-to diagnostic process is or what you would be recommending to people listening who, you know, maybe fit that, you know, what we've talked about today and suspect that there could be some thyroid stuff going on about how they could take steps towards being properly diagnosed or even just ruling it out or in for, you yeah. know, part of their health picture because I really think there's a few issues that we need to kind of, yeah. 100%, 100%. And that's, that's, that's something what you just explained to your patient in clinic is, is very common. I see that all the time. You know, people come to me and say, I, I, you know, there's a couple of things here. I want to talk about something else, but I'll talk about the diagnostic. So generally, yeah, you want to get a full thyroid panel every single time. And, you know, every single time means that once you have that diagnosis, it's really important to keep checking and keep checking and keep checking. Um, also, just to see if those antibodies are going to, you know, come on after a while, or if you're actually, if you've got a, you know, you're treating it or with someone that's actually treating your autoimmune, you know, making sure that you're getting improvement there. So the full thyroid panel is going to look at a TSH. I mean, that's what generally most GPs will do. And TSH is that it's it comes from the brain and it tell, it, it detects the serum level of your thyroid hormone. So it's going to be higher if your ther- um, thyroid hormones are low and it's going to be low if your serum um, thyroid hormones are high. So TSH, whilst it's an important marker, it's, it's it doesn't tell you much at all. And it can be very normal you know, normal as, you know, in naturopathic terms um, with, and you can still have the high thyroid antibodies. And that may mean that you're in the start of that autoimmune process, that it just hasn't um, flipped on, you know, hypothyroidism. So if we think about autoimmunity is the biggest cause of hypo and hyperthyroidism. So, but we can have normal results until those antibodies flip on. So we want TSH that, that, um, Thyroid stimulating hormone. I almost forgot what TSH stands for then. <laughs> um, and then we want our thyroid hormones, and these are often missed. Uh, mostly, sometimes we can get a T4, and that's the predominant around 97%. The thyroid makes about 97% of T4 or, th- or triautothyronine. That's your main pro hormone. And then it's got to be converted to T3. So we want T3 as well, because T3 tells us how much bioavailable hormone it tells us how much you're converting that, that mostly T4 to T3. 
um, and it tells us how much it's getting into the cell. So we want TSH, T4, T3, and we want reverse T3. And reverse T3 tells us how much of that T4 is going off to reverse T3 um, and is not available for you. So reverse T3 is a normal part of thyroid hormone physiology. Um, if you have a car accident or you're chronically stressed or chronically ill, a lot of your um, thyroid hormone is going to go off to reverse T3. So again, it's that met metabolically homeostatic function of the thyroid to slow down in times of stress on the body because we don't need to be running a marathon or metabolizing or even digesting in that situation, right? Mm. Um, we'll see digestion slow down in chronic stress. We'll see digestion slow down in chronic um, um, infections and viruses because the it's all about containing that bacterial infection or viral infection. So reverse T3, is it's an expensive marker, reverse T3. Uh, it's about $90. It's not covered under Medicare, but it is useful as a baseline. So I do try and include that in my baseline. That's one I may not test all the time, but I just like that as a baseline. And I call this, it's like the thyroid puzzle. It's putting all your pieces of your thyroid together so we know what's going on. So TSH, um, your thyroid hormones, T4, T3 are essential, reverse T3, and then we want your antibodies. Uh, and in hypothyroidism, the predominant, well, actually, let's not talk hypo, we'll talk all general thyroid conditions um, because these, these um, all the antibodies can coexist in both conditions. So we want our TPO, our thyroid peroxidase antibody. That is the main aggressive thyroid um, antibody in Hashimoto's. Um, and that one actually causes cell death and cell destruction um, of your thyroid um, cells, your thyrocytes and your follicular cells. Thyroglobulin antibody is another one there. Uh, and then we also want to test, uh, and this is something that I'm testing more and more in all thyroid patients, is the TRAB antibodies. So uh, TSH receptor antibodies are more your diagnostic Graves' disease antibody, but they can be present in Hashimoto's. And so I test TRAB across the board now. Now, so something that you might want to consider here is that hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism cannot coexist at the same time in the one patient, but Hashimoto's and Graves can. Mm, so that's yeah, so and this is what I see all the time now, sort of going into more sort of extensive testing and seeing more sort of, you know, complex side patients is that people can have Hashimoto's and Graves at the same time and they can flip from hypo and hyper and they have both types of antibodies. I'm treating a lot of Graves patients at the moment with antibodies in the, you know, 3000s and high trab as well and they're just their autoimmune is just you know the dysregulation is all over the place so um yeah we can they can present in both conditions just like tpo a thyroid peroxidase which is generally the hashimoto's antibody can present in graves disease as well so it's really important to test that is sort of the the full thyroid panel there mm -hmm. and another one to consider there particularly if you have um you know you've had hashimoto's or graves for quite a while is to have a thyroid ultrasound within a 12-month period because that's going to show us, you know, are there any thyroid nodules? And it's also going to give us a little bit of indication about the health of your tissue and how much inflammation and oxidative stress is going on in that gland. And that is definitely another part of that thyroid picture. And that's that's the full assessment that I will um, look at with all my thyroid patients. And can I ask why do you test for antibodies? Because I feel like a lot of the time this isn't even being routinely tested because um, medically it's there's no real treatment. You know, yes. if they go down that road, they mm. go, okay, yes, you're positive or yes, those levels are high. 
but it's almost a bit of a dead end medically. Mm. Do you agree? agree oh, 100%. 100%. That? I work closely with GPs in my local area and I recently um, met another one that I'm sending a lot of patients to and she said, I said, I really need the anti. Everyone I sent to you, I need their, their antibodies tested. And she said, why? Because they're not clinically significant. But they are clinically significant. And like I said, the, the aggressiveness of that TPO will over time destroy those thyrocytes, leading, you know, an inability. So, you know, again, what I said at the start is the biggest number one driver or cause of all hypo and hyperthyroidism is autoimmunity. And then we've got to go down the track of what has flipped that autoimmunity on. So, yeah. you know, is it genetics combined with poor gut health, combined with stress, combined with infections, combined with toxicity, combined with low you know, nutrients or, you know, what is going, is it the SIBO, you know, what is going on to flip on that autoimmunity? And over time is that those antibodies will cause your hypothyroidism where we'll see a higher TSH and low thyroid hormones. Mm -hmm. So so the why, the big why as I test them is because my treatment's going to be different. And 95% of people with hypothyroidism have Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's I'm treat, I rarely treat hypothyroidism. I'm treating Hashimoto's. And part of my treatment is going to be that autoimmune modulation. And we do know through research also is that when you have one autoimmune condition, you are at a greater risk of, of developing another autoimmune condition. So if we can halt and um, bring balance to your immune system to stop it attacking its own, well, in this case, sorry, tissue, we can perhaps, you know, prevent it um, from developing another one. You know, so many uh, autoimmune conditions coexist together. Hashimoto's and celiac disease and Graves' disease commonly coexist. Type 1 diabetes, diabetes, lichen sclerosis. There's so many conditions um, that, you know, autoimmune conditions that coexist together because of that immune dysregulation going on in your body. Your body, your immune system should not be making antibodies against your mm -hmm. any sort of body tissue. So if we're discovering like an alarm going off saying doo -doo, doo -doo, yes. something's not right yes. here. And I think because the thyroid is such a sensitive little organ, it is a common place to for that immune attack to happen because you know, thyroid gland controls so many um, organs and tissues in the body. It, it's needed for so many, and it's so sensitive. It's an environmental sensing gland, sensitive to viruses, to toxins, to nutritional deficiencies, to every, you know, a lot of things, to stress. So it's I think it's a common place where you know, the immune system go, oh, let's just, you know, I don't know why, you know, I have no idea why it attacks. Well, I do, I know the triggers. There's of it, a million reasons potentially. There's a million reasons, yes. <laughs> yeah. I just, Carrie, before we move on, I just wanted to also um, pick up, bring up something called um, cellular hypothyroidism. So yeah, cool. quite commonly um, practitioners or, you know, will see patients in the clinic that come in and say, hey, I've got all of the thyroid symptoms. I've got every thyroid symptom, I've, but my, my GP keeps telling me my thyroid's fine. And I'll be looking at it going, yes, I think you've got, let's do the full thyroid panel. And I get excited to get their results to go, yep, you've got a thyroid condition. And I look at their thyroid panel and their TSH is, you know, 1, 1 1.5. Their thyroid hormones are really good. They're not on any medication. There's no antibodies. And yet they have all of the thyroid symptoms. So when that is happening, and probably a lot of your listeners that go, well, yeah, that's me, um, that can be something called hypothyroid, sorry, cellular hypothyroidism or resistance of the thyroid hormones at a cellular level. And that just means that you, yeah, your thyroid is producing really good thyroid hormones, you're converting those thyroid hormones, but you have um, a block to getting them into your cell to have that metabolic effect on the cell and then it causes symptoms. Mm, so, and then we go back to again, well, what's doing that? Is it the chronic so stress? I'm about to ask. <laughs> yes. 
It's right. finding the driver. SIBO, SIBO is a classic one, poor gut health, um, inflammation. Um, it, we, if we look, you know, all cells for the transport of thyroid hormones into the cell, it requires energy. Your cells have to be working well. That So anything that's going to block poor cellular energy, um, that will block your thyroid hormone uptake. So then we have to, yeah, go back as clinicians and find out what's, what's going on, um, you know, cardiovascular disease, migraines, anything that's going to really deplete that cellular energy can block that thyroid hormone uptake. Um, really, you know, thinking about things such as, you know, vitamin A, selenium um, and zinc is it can really help the health of the cell and the uptake of thyroid hormones there. That's so fascinating. Thank you for adding that in and sharing it because I think it's, you know, it does explain for certain people, um, yeah. you know, why they're like that. I'm just convinced. Or even as practitioners, sometimes you're like, really? Like you were just yes. so convinced that those results were going to come yeah. back. So, And that but- is that case where we wouldn't necessarily treat the thyroid, right? We would look at the underlying driver and gut health is huge there. You've got to, what is going on that they just can't uptake and we know you know poor gut health was quite a lot of you know systemic inflammation you know it's that driver of systemic inflammation so yeah that could be definitely one to assess and look at yeah and I also wanted to just like say to everyone that hopefully that little discussion and topic that we covered off around diagnostic is really empowering um, and gives you hope as well because I feel like you kind of get told or you may have been told that you know no I'm not testing that because there's no way to improve it if you do Mm. have an autoimmune thyroid issue so therefore we're not even going to investigate it so I think that um, if you're listening today it's a really um, it's really great to kind of work with a naturopath in that sense because there's so many different tools and it really shines a light on our profession and the tools that we have as naturopaths to be helping this because we do have lots of different you know herbs nutrients lifestyle coaching like there's Mm. just so many different ways that we can um, support that so um, and we can get the right testing we can you know get the right testing if you're getting constantly refused to get that full thyroid panel uh, you know, I say to my patients, then, you know, find a new GP or let's do functional testing. We have, we have, you have to do, you have to pay for it through your testing through, through a naturopath. But at the end of the day, to get that right diagnosis, to rule that out, I think it's really essential. And the reason, I guess the reason why, you know, GPs or doctors or endocrinologists don't want to test because they don't have a pill to fix it. There is nothing exactly. that they can do. And autoimmunity is, I'll come back to it again, diet and lifestyle. What are you putting in your body and what are you doing? That's It's all about diet and lifestyle. Yeah, so empowering. I really hope you guys can feel that today. I'm like, <laughs> it's really, really awesome. So before we kind of wrap up, um, I just I could sit here all day, but I just thought I would ask you, is there any kind of um, ongoing research or some maybe emerging therapies um, that show promise in addressing um, specifically here around underactive thyroid constipation and SIBO um, and whether there was anything that you could highlight um, in regards to that today? Study um, with a probiotic uh, looking at this, uh, is it Bacillus clausi? Have you yeah. heard of that? Yeah, um, that's showing promising results in SIBO. Um, that was something that I was just looking at um yeah the other day but also an interesting study I thought maybe just to to leave on is that a study that looked at patients on T4 a replacement so thyroxine levothyroxine or you know T4 derivative um have an increased risk of SIBO so that was a really interesting study I looked at 
Um, so levothyroxine therapy and impaired clearance are the strongest contributors to a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And that was a results of a, a retrospective cohort study. And it looked at um, 1,800 patients. Wow. Um, and overall, it looked at the risk factors for the development of SIBO. So it looked at immunosuppressive drug use, in, uh, previous intestinal surgery and PPI as a factor, but they actually found that they were more at risk of developing SIBO if hypothyroid um, and or taking um, T4, which I thought was really interesting there. So you the know mentioned much about, was it like, did they discuss a lot about like the that mo migrating motor complex that you were talking about earlier on today? Because we know that that's slowing down like that motor mechanism in the bowel. Mm. Do, do yeah. you think that that's what, or did they allude to anything? I'm going to have to check this out. Maybe can you yes. share? I'll, I'll share. I'll notes? definitely send you the study. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting and I, I brought it up and had a look through it. But, um, you know, we do find a lot of the times that, you know, to be honest, T4 therapy is not really effective for many people. Um, and I'm delving more into this as I, you know, the more and more thyroid patients that I see is that I have patients that, you know, come to me after 20, 10, 20 years on thyroxine, but they're still experiencing all the same symptoms if not more mm -hmm. and you know is that because you know they're not absorbing it which was what I'll look at first is it because they're not converting it or getting into their cells or do they have some sort of you know underlying SIBO or gut sort of you know risk factor there um, and I do you know particularly patients that have had a thyroidectomy you know they lose that metabolic flexibility because they've lost their middleman they've lost their thyroid gland and they've lost that beautiful feedback loop between the brain the thyroid and, and detection of the serum um, thyroid levels so you know, a lot of those patients that I see will end up on some sort of T3, getting that active T3. Now, T3 uh, medication is not the be all end all. You still have to do the diet, the lifestyle, work on the drivers and triggers, heal the gut, all of those things. But you know, you're getting more of that. It's it's just it's to me, it's like taking an activated B, right? It's like you're not breaking it down because you don't have the enzyme to do that, or you've got MTHFR or something like that. We're just giving you the active form because you've lost you know, that that step to actually convert. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting there. I thought I, when I was looking at the research and coming across that one, but I'll, I'll share the study with you. Um, and also, you know, SIBO is more common with those with H. pylori, and of course, which you know, and of course, we that's a big driver of, you know, Hashimoto's and autoimmune conditions as well. I'm always testing for H. pylori um, in, my, in my thyroid patients, regardless if they're presenting with symptoms, because they can have a silent sort of, you know, reflux or something going on. Um, and again, that association with hyperthyroid, H. pylori, um, autoimmunity, you know, SIBO, yeah, I think there's a, I haven't broken that down to see what is actually going on there, but yeah, which which comes first? Is it the H. pylori or the SIBO or the hypothyroidism or the antibodies or, yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting field there. But I thought, yeah, that study was um, interesting. Absolutely. And I will we'll put that in the show notes for everyone. So you can click on that and have a little bit of a read if you want to go nerd out, because I know a lot of practitioners love listening to this podcast as well. But I was also just going to let my kind of comment on all of that. And my brain's going in a million different places, yeah. like motility, yeah, the migrating yeah. motor complex. So I'll yeah. definitely have a read. But I was also like, mm. you know, you've talked a lot about today about, you know, you might have, um, you know, autoimmune uh, thyroid Hashimoto's disease. 
But, you know, the onset of that may have been, you know, um, food poisoning where it affects the migrating motor complex and it actually starts to disrupt and there are antibodies that are present Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in the bowel. Um, And so that's kind of like potentially another coexisting autoimmune um, issue that's happening localised within the gut. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like this cascade of things that might be happening or happening at the same time. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's so fascinating. And then... For sure. There's definitely a lot to look at, you know, and I think from this, we can gather that, you know, when you're seeing that patient in front of you, it's, you've got to do extensive, you know, not, I wouldn't say extensive testing, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's finding out what's going on. What, what is it, what is coexisting together? It's never just SIBO. It's never just hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's. There's so many things underlying that are interacting with each other um, that need to be, yeah, to dealt with too. And it's a process. It's definitely a process, you know, along treating these patients for sure. Absolutely. And every single patient that we see and we interpret SIBO results for, we always sit back and go, okay, what is this patient's transit time? Are they constipated? Do we think that they have, you know, thyroid risk factors? Um, and and do have they had post, you know, are they post-infectious? Um, would they have these antibodies present in the bowel? So I think, you know, for anybody who has done a SIBO test um, and wasn't diagnosed properly, it could have been due to, you know, improper interpretation. Or maybe as a practitioner, you're listening today and you're kind of going, oh, I don't really, I just interpret SIBO results and look at the gas level and I don't really take into account whether this patient could have constipation, slow motility and a thyroid issue, Mm, that in itself is going to greatly affect the gas levels or the reaction and the the pattern, sorry, that you would be seeing on a SIBO test. So we really need to firstly understand the patient, what's going on for them, think about you know, yes, look at these results and interpret them, you know, based off the gas levels, but there's so much more as well. Um, So I'm really thankful for you joining us today and really diving deep into thyroid because I think that it is a huge um, aspect to many different uh, gut health, but specifically SIBO patients it's something we're seeing time and time again so um, I really hope that today has been, you know, educational and enlightening to both uh, you know, everyday people listening that are suffering from these things, but also practitioners um, who can take away some learnings and implement it into their practice as well. So a massive thank you to you, Tara, for your time. You're very welcome. It's been fun. (laughs) And I'm learning, you know, about, as I said, this wasn't a topic that I, you know, grew up with or learned about. So I'm learning more about SIBO. And now, you know, when I think about, you know, when I say those maybe a handful of patients that in my process of, of assessment and my holistic treatment, you know, in the past, there's probably been that handful of patients that, what's going on here? Like, why haven't my normal treatments been working? And perhaps, you know, it's alerted me now that I will now have that, that third step probably, right? I'm going to, they're not improving. They've got that bloating or they've got that gut issue that's still, I'm going to go down that SIBO track. Um, and, and thanks to you for, you know, bringing that, you know, more awareness to that issue as well. You're welcome. Uh, If you would like to reach out to Tara, all of her details, um, including her website and even mentoring um, avenues can all be found in the show notes as well. So um, I would highly recommend checking those out. She's got some beautiful resources for both clients and practitioners on her website. So thank you again, Tara, and thank you for everyone listening. And if you would kindly like to uh, review and subscribe to the podcast, it will help us to keep bringing you um, more and more episodes like today's. I'll see you on the next episode. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. 
If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut Podcast.